All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. Uh, James Austin Johnson is here. And it's weird with this guy. Hilarious guy. Great impressionist. But nice guy. Smart guy. Interesting story. But someone forwarded me that Jimmy Fallon clip of him doing Bob Dylan, the three different Bob Dylans or four. And I didn't really realize that it was the same guy who did Trump on SNL, but I don't really watch SNL. And then when I was in Nashville, I was on stage and I was going back and forth with Chad Ryden, my Prince's chicken experience. You know, apparently James Austin Johnson was there, as was another guy and Chad and Ryan Singer to witness my face burning. But I don't remember them. And I don't know it's a, if that's just because of the the heat of the peppers annihilated a part of my memory uh, a sort of um spice related blackout which is totally possible but apparently we hung around most of the day me and james austin johnson and a couple other fellas and i went back and i was watching those trump videos he did just the ones when he was on the street and they're fucking hilarious hilarious so i talked to him when i was in new york and it was a completely surprising conversation to be to be quite honest with you in the sense that he's got a you know he's got an interesting story, a unique story, a story that deals with Jesus. Anytime Jesus can find his way into a story that isn't his, that's the whole goal of it, isn't it? Jesus is designed to infect, and James was infected with Jesus, but uh, it was good. It was it was like one of those positive bacterias, one of those good ones, one of those uh, gut bugs that you want to keep the Jesus. Folks, if you're a WTF Plus subscriber, listen up. You got an email from us today, and if you didn't get a chance to read it, here's the gist. We sent you all individualized promo codes so you can refer a friend to WTF Plus, and they get a month for free. That's any tier of WTF Plus. Refer as many people as you want, because starting in January, we're going to tally up all the referrals, and the listener with the most will get a gift from us, along with a shout-out here on the show. So check your inbox for the email with your special referral code in sight. Who doesn't want me to shout out their name on the show or give you a gift? I don't even know what the gift is going to be. Maybe I do. Maybe I know exactly what it is. Maybe it's in my house. Maybe maybe it's a new car. It's not. Not a new car. Um, the special. So we're getting it right into the cutting of this thing. And I don't know... If you're in the kind of job where if you do your job uh, at the end of the day, you can just watch yourself do your job uh, from a from an uh, outside vantage point. It's not great because you just want it. You want to do a good job. You want to be able to live with the job you're doing or certainly maybe even like the job you did. But when you do TV, it's taken me a long time, TV or movies, to sort of be able to watch myself with enough distance and enough comfort uh, to 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 not be like, oh, fuck, I fucked it. So now I don't watch myself and think like, oh, man, God damn it. I, I watch myself and go like, that was okay. That was okay. Oof, that one. Well, what are you going to do? One out of three. Oh, look at that. Okay. Two out of four. Ooh, that was good. So it becomes sort of like that. But then if I watch it again, it's sort of like, all right, I was in it. The vibe was right. So I, when I first watched part of the cut the other day from uh, Fine Arts, my director, it's his name, Stephen Fine Arts. 
you know, within 15 minutes, I was like, man, I just were, I was like, I, I was not happy. I wasn't unhappy. I just thought like, yeah, it's a little, it would, it's intense. It's like, I can't, I just, you know, I'm not, it's not, it's, I'm going too fast. What's it? But I just couldn't process it because I, I just, it was too close. It was, it was just on, it was Thursday. I wasn't ready. But then I watched it yesterday and I was like, you know what? It's all there. It's solid. Let's make it just sing. Let's just tweak it. We got to get it down a few minutes. Let's figure it out. Let's smooth it out. But uh, I was definitely in the zone. I was where I needed to be. And I was able to watch it and make notes and make decisions. That's progress. You know, when you don't automatically think you did a shitty job or you don't think that you're not, you know, good enough and you kind of live with that every day with your job, you know, that's uh, it's bad no matter what your job is. You know... Ultimately, nothing matters. It's all going to go away. It doesn't end well for anybody. Give yourself a fucking break, he said to him, self. <laughs> right? Right? Ooh, man. Oh, man. Cats are okay. Fucking Charlie Beans. Fucking Sammy Smushy. Fucking Buster Kitten. God damn cats. I had the house cleaned yesterday and I just watched. I was sitting at the counter having coffee and I watched Charlie Beans climb up on the counter opposite me, get into the sink and pee in it. Could have been worse. Could have peed someplace else that wasn't as convenient as a sink. Just peed in the sink, looking right at me. All right. I don't think there's anything wrong with him. We'll see if it happens again. I'm not sure why he did it. It had just been cleaned. Maybe he was like, this doesn't smell like mine anymore. All right, look, you guys. James Austin Johnson uh, is a very talented man, very funny man, does great impressions, cracks me the fuck up. There's a couple of things. His uh, Scooby-Doo Trump impression thing on YouTube or whatever it's on or and uh, the Dylan stuff, I have, to, I have to not watch too often so I can get laughs from watching it for years to come. He's a member of the Not Ready for Primetime Players. The final SNL of the year airs this Saturday on NBC. And we had a lovely conversation in my hotel room in New York City where the sun was glaring. It was just glaring. It was beating down on him. I don't know why I didn't tell him to move or why we just didn't close the curtain. But uh, when we finished, he, uh, <laughs> he, he had to step away. I think he might have got a sunburn through the window. So this is me talking to... Uh, James Austin Johnson in New York. So I'll hold the mic away. If, no, no, if I can do something. I can, I can ride the, uh, I can ride the fader. See, you, that's how I know you're a musician. Is you know you love the knobs. I, yeah, I'm doing all these I'm knobs. On the knobs. Well. well, I'm, I'm not. I, but I'm bad at this shit. I mean, really? I've been doing. Well, look, I've been doing this. What? Where are we at? Like. Uh, 12 years and I'm sitting in a hotel room with a Zoom. How old's that Zoom? This is not that old a Zoom. Oh, okay. Why does it look old? Well, you got the you still got the plastic covering on the on the little LCD there. Yeah, I mean, I could take that off, but I think it would ruin something. I I have I think men have a fear about peeling the <laughs> sticker off the LCD of something. <laughs> well, you want to keep things pristine. Yeah. Why have you, you My do... dad like every t everywhere my da every car my dad's ever had, he leaves the film on the least car. <laughs> And he never takes it off the Sirius XM little right. screen thing. Right. 
What, and I, it gets they, nasty and gritty and yeah. full of his little powdered gas station powdered donut. Yeah, grit. lint. Yeah, yeah. That's and a it man. Just stays thing, on, it, it's a certain type of man thing. I don't yeah. know what you're protecting, what you're holding on to. I don't know. Like it's going to stay. <laughs> it's going to stay pristine. Yeah, for the it. car's virginity. You know. So now I didn't realize this, and and I feel bad about it, but um, I think I don't think this is the first time we've been in a hotel room together. We met Mark in Nashville. I know di- where I'm from. Yeah. What, 10, 12 it, years ago? It must be. Had I started, I was just the beginning of the podcast because I was doing yeah. a show in Nashville at a Polk, James K. Polk Center. At the T-Pack. T-Pack, yeah. At the yeah. big theater. And that's the, that's the one. That's when you've made it. Right, but it, I, no, I was in the smaller theater. Oh, but I mean, still. Yeah, it's That's nice. where Jeff Tweedy plays. That's yeah. where Jerry Seinfeld plays. The, and you're in room. that genre. You're I, in I that. think, I bet you Tweedy and I were in the same room, but Jerry yes. was in the bigger room. I think you're the Wilco of Jerry Seinfeld. That's right. I think that's Can I true. Can I pay you a compliment? <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah, Ryan Singer was my buddy. He was opening for you, and he invited... Right. Yeah. Because I was in... Because the, the reason... And I was just talking about you to my producer, Brendan, when I saw the Dylan thing. You know, I'm like, oh, this guy's yeah. great. You know, like, wait, how do I not know this guy? And uh, and he's like, and then two days later, I do uh, I do I do the Nashville thing, and Chad Ryden is there. Oh, okay. So, and I hadn't seen Chad in forever. You know, right. I probably hadn't seen him since I saw since with you. And 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 someone asked me to tell that Prince's Chicken story, and I said, who was with us? It was me, you, and and there was another guy, John Thornton. <laughs> Was there John Thornton? His name was John Thornton Jr. And he was a comedian in Nashville. He became a Baptist pastor. Are you serious? Yes. And then a socialist activist. Wait, but weren't you there? I was there too. There, so there were five of us. There was Ryan, me and John. Chad. Chad. And me. And you. What, so what happened to the other guy? He's, a, he was, he's not a comic anymore. I don't think he's a comic anymore. He was a Baptist pastor. Yeah. He got frustrated because he was trying to use the emergency, like, uh, social rescue funds that some churches, some churches will have a, especially the big fancy ones, Yeah, will have, like, a slush fund that is meant for, oh, we're getting 30 families fr- who are evacuating a storm in yeah. Florida, yeah. and we're taking them in yeah. with some of our families, so this money's for them ostensibly. Yeah. But a lot of the big churches, you know, they... They hate socialism. They hate handouts. They're Republicans. So they sit on the money. And then yeah. it, it, it's just, they get all this money. So when he was a, a uh, associate pastor at this one Baptist, I guess, mega church or whatever, yeah. he said, well, we've got people in debt in our church. We've got two people I know are homeless. Let's spend this money. Yeah. And then that just began a constant fight of him wanting to help. Help <laughs> and do, do Christian shit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so... And that in itself is sort of a microcosm of my own experience with the Christian church, which I was heavily involved in for most of my life. Do you know this kid, Andrew Stanley? Andrew Stanley, no. I think that's his name. He opened for me oh. in uh, in Nashville, and he comes from oh. a family of, of ministers. Oh, really? His grandfather's somebody, Stanley, oh. that writes books. Like, And he's uh, homeschooled. A lot of oh, his God. angle is the, the homeschooled angle. But he's great. He's I, great. See, I think I grew up super crazy christian intensity and then i meet people who are like homeschooled and yeah. i'm like i went to public school i sat at lunch table of jews and talked about the daily show <laughs> you did yeah you found the jews in nashville? i found the jews in nashville the and they introduced me to conan and did they? daily show and you know steely dan and like the cool shit that i like as an adult really yeah 
you and, you, you uh, lay that squarely on the Jews. You're, you're, you're <laughs> I don't know. They happen to a be good Jewish thing. people. No, it's, no, no, it's but, good. Um, no, I, I, it's good to hear positive things about Jews. <laughs> I'm not a huge Steely Dan fan. I've tried, but it, really, you're not a Steely Dan fan. Look, I am. I, I get it, but do I go to it? Do you go know. to it? No. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. You were, but you were brought up very religious. Yeah, I, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, which is like if Methodists were really anti-fun. Yeah. Like, you know, like we don't drink, we don't smoke, no bowling alleys, no engagement rings. Yeah. Let's exchange watches when we get married. Right. You know, um, but, women can't wear shorts. This is all stuff that ended in like, I guess the 80s, but that was the legacy of this church. But do you come of. from ministers? My, no, I come from like teachers and school administrators, but my dad worked at like, uh, worked at a Nazarene college and my grand, my mom's dad was president of Treveca, which is a Nazarene college in downtown Nashville. So, so Nazarene is just a, a subdivision of. It's just Christ- one of the another? denominations, one of the million. Is it a popular one? Uh, they say that there are more Southern Baptists in Mississippi than there are Nazarenes in the entire world. That's like the that's like the little aphorism that is shared that, to that me. Go, the, that goes around the Nazarene community. It's, so it's like, like the number more. one Christian church in Haiti or something like yeah, okay. that. It's like a missionary thing. And <laughs> I don't know. So I I love all those boutique, people. A boutique uh, Christianity. Listen, Mark. I went yeah. through yeah. all of my. I've been through every phase of my relationship with that community. With Jesus or just the community? With the community. With Jesus, it's like great. <laughs> You're I'll right. never get rid of Jesus in my head. You think I can get rid of Jesus at this point? I don't know. I don't think I can. I, well, I don't know. I don't know what that feels like. I, I don't want to be Christian. Does that make any sense? Sure. Like, but I mean, I don't know what it feels like to have Jesus so far in your head that you can't extricate it. Yeah, I get what you mean. Well, religion. Well, my wife and I, my wife grew up in a similar fashion in the yeah. Baptist church. And we watch these cult documentaries. And then when the credits are rolling, we both just, we, every time we look at each other, we go, we were raised in a cult. <laughs> we're brainwashed. Yeah. This is unhealthy. Right. One of us is going to murder someone at some point. Yeah. You don't know when you're going to be activated. I don't know when it's going to <laughs> yeah. kick in and we're scared about that. But how so, many, how many kids in your family? Uh, I was the youngest of three boys. Hmm. Um, and uh, oh, so you got, I mean, you yeah. actually had the, the best opportunity to become a free thinker in a way. Oh yeah, you could see all the damage. They're just taking the hits. You know, they're at the front of the ship. Yeah, I know, right? Well, it's also that that you're also in the position to be the most of a people pleasing, religious like psychopath. <laughs> where when you're the youngest, your whole mission is impressing people that are much older than you. Okay. Right. When you're the youngest, all of your attitude and your value comes from making. Two people in their 40s and then two big boys yeah. relate to you. So that's where I think the impressions and, and com- stand-up and all the stand-up and Just to stuff, get attention. Just to get attention. Yeah. And then the Nazarene world is very elders-focused. I yeah. mean, those Christian, those churches are all about the old man who is the most ordained and the most revered guy, right? So there's always like a, an old bearded guy there? Or? There's always an old bald man oh. who is the most conservative hard-ass man you've ever met and he is the, he is a bad, he's a bad motherfucker. Yeah. And <laughs> he's the elder. He's the elder and everyone respects him. So it's always about the oldest man in the room. It's, yeah. When I go to these like I go to like liberal friends um, houses like kids who grew up with NPR yeah. and, and college professor parents yeah. 
at people who have kids late in life, it's, yeah. it seems like it's all about the kids. Yeah. It seems like it's all about life is totally focused on soccer and flute and yeah. their parties and their friends. I did not grow up in an environment like that. It was always about <laughs> the doctor. Flute. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do. These people where the life is about the children. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember growing up in a, I was always dragged to some kind of luncheon where a solemn man was talking about the work they're doing in China or whatever. You know what I mean? And you just sat there and, and we're I told just to sat be quiet. there in a little suit. <laughs> We watch these VHS tapes where I'm squirming in a little suit at some Nazarene conference, you know, in Indianapolis. But, but I thought it's weird because I guess that's true. I mean, I, I guess the ability to define yourself comes later <laughs> as the, as the third kid after you see your brothers go through a certain amount of hardship. Yeah. I mean, I have to assume that at some point there's the people pleasing and then there's this sort of like, well, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's what I mean. Like you know, you I've already done my therapy thing, and I've so now I'm at the new place where instead of like uh, being a resentful participant in all of this stuff, yeah. Now I'll go to church with my family and like try to see what they see in it. I, I'm now I'm trying to have respect for who all these people are that. And love how old me. are you? Thirty three. Well, that's good. That's good because I'm. I think I'm just getting that now, and my parents are very old. Really? Well, I don't know if it's respect, but there's something's given way. Yeah. You, you know, like you you can hold on to this anger for so long. But I've mm. been doing this on stage where I say, but at some point you realize, like, yeah, I kind of won. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like you got what you wanted, right? Well, so let's let it go. So let's let it go. Show up for them a little bit. Show up for them, and I want their like. I want their final years to be of value. I see the value in other people's lives now. You do? I don't know by like. Yeah, right? Like you... I do. Well, yeah, I think so. You get a so. taste of what you're working for, and then you're like, oh, I want... Yeah, and also when you, well, you're 33, so like, you know, I've got a lot of years on these, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, you realize like, it's not going to end well for anybody. <laughs> we all die alone, Mark. <laughs> exactly. But like, you see these yeah. people, and there's that discomfort of like, <laughs> you know, what are they, look at this old asshole. Why does he got to be like that? And then you realize, who wouldn't be? Right. How do you go out with any grace? Yeah, you don't. Not really, even like, you know, when in thinking about Bob Dylan and the arc of, of your impression of him, it's like, <laughs> you know, for some reason, that guy, after all he's done, is just, he just is dead set on dying on a tour bus. For real. I know. He loves, what, what musician, I think this is what truly made me love him after years of like, going back and forth between liking him and not liking him. Did you grow up with it, or did the Jews give you Dylan, too? <laughs> I got into Bob Dylan, I think, at the time, most people do, like, in college, trying to be smart. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. What, no, was the what was your introduction? What was the record? My, let's see, it was actually high school. My high school girlfriend, who was really cool, Yeah. really cool high school girlfriend, uh, got me Blood on the Tracks. Yeah, that's the one, right? And I listened to Blood on the Tracks yeah. a lot, and I was like, oh, this is incredible. This has this has what I'm looking for in books that I'm reading. Sure. Plus, you know, what I want from, like, the Americana roots rock All music that I listened to. Right, because that was already happening. Yeah. Like, yeah, and then you probably, and then if you move on to Blonde on Blonde and you listen to Visions of Joanna, if you have the yeah. same experience I did, it's like, it's all in here. Yeah. It's all in this yeah. song. <laughs> this is the song. Yeah. No, that is the song, right? That's like the song that uh, has has a lot of Bob Dylan moves in it, I feel like. And Blonde on Blonde, the, the way that the band is composed, like in the songs, the way that that band is put together, that session group or whatever yeah. in Nashville, to me, that's the Bob Dylan sound. Even though he's had a million sounds, yeah. Blonde on Blonde is, I think, what most people are picturing when they hear a Bob Dylan, yeah. like when they are imagining a Bob Dylan song. If it's not the original Dylan. 
If it's not, yeah, yeah the yeah. blowing in the wind. Right, Dylan. right, but, right. Um, I don't think anybody really relates to that Dylan anymore. That's That music to me sounds like such a fad. Yeah, and then I the rest of his music is so timeless to me. It's it's only if it sounds like a fad if you if you just let it hang there. But if you try to wedge it into context, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Of course it does. Yeah, but that, I thought that was like the funniest. The the for some reason the moment that that resonates with me in that impression you did or that series of impressions that Dylan you did on Fallon was that I think Calvin Coolidge said that. <laughs> I think Calvin Coolidge said yeah. that. Like of all the references of anybody in the world that's a public figure that no one gives a fuck about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Calvin Coolidge. Yeah. He he's <laughs> I think he was at, I think he had there's a youth to Bob Dylan's pretentiousness yeah. in a lot of the early songs where I think he's showing off how much he's read, right? How aware he is of the outside world. Well, I just think like, you know, when I when I try to kind of wrap my brain around it, it, it he, I think he was all hopped up on speed and... and uh, he was on drugs as well, yeah. And, and sort of a, a, a vague sense of self. But he was obviously gifted with some kind of like... It, it's some sort of... It's a talent, but he's like a vessel of some kind. You don't... There are guys you meet... Like even when you riff, that like if you're riffing Trump or you're riffing now, yeah. the and things fall into your head, you know there are just some people that it's so much content right. that is falling into them and through mm -hmm. them you can't even understand it because you want to lock into some of these songs and like oh that's who he is who yeah. the fuck knows who that guy is yeah he's just this weird vessel he that, maybe doesn't know yeah who I I don't know he's full of all this beat poetry and you know I guess Minnesota like folklore <laughs> or yeah, whatever but the, yeah right and then there's a Led this, Belly song this and... period where you know like I was there's a there's a documentary about Ramblin' Jack Elliott have you seen that no where you know they were peers yeah and and at the early time you know Dylan used to look up to Jack okay who was kind of this kind of folksy you know guitar playing you know mm -hmm. you know cowboy storyteller okay, guy yeah. and it becomes very clear because I think Jack's daughter made it that the early Dylan is some amalgamation of things he picked up, but it's mostly Ramblin' Jack. Like you right. know, the sort of like I think Calvin Coolidge said that yeah. is a Ramblin' Jack trip. You know what I mean? Right. Like okay. This funny aside. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when you start to like, if you're like me, that's you're like, oh, fucking Dylan stole it. You know. But then, but then you realize like, well, he's been a lot of things. Yeah, and you're not behind in whatever Ramblin' Jack thinks. Behind every genius, there's at least three people going like that. Fucker took my. Oh yeah, you yeah. have to steal. I think you fully have to steal, right? Like, well, I I think that it it's something you're not conscious of. I I think that like when you're hungry okay. creatively and yeah. and you're talented, you just start to absorb things. Yeah, even when even when you are kind of. When you're younger and you're just mimicking something that you saw another comedian do, yeah, which is how I started. I started fully stealing. I didn't realize that the stealing was bad or had a moral Jokes or, content or, or tone. My first stand-up that I ever did. The how first, old were you? Okay, let's see. The first time I did my own stand-up, I was 14. I probably started a little earlier than that. Really? In in drama class at school high we, school in middle school middle school in middle school we did these competitions after school forensics competitions where you would memorize a monologue yeah and you would you would go do it yeah at, at some competition at some other public school yeah and i got assigned humorous interpretation yeah and that was my category. Okay. And I got some Three Little Pigs story or something my first year I did it. I lost right. every competition. My second year I said, "Can I can I do eight minutes from my favorite stand-up album? 
Oh, that's so, a great kind of exercise, and you, you yeah. can, and you're free to do it. It's middle school. It it's, shit. It, my teacher was like, it just has to be a published work, and yeah. you can do it at these competitions. So I transcribed eight minutes from, have you ever met this guy, Mark? Brad Stein. No. Brad Stein's album, Rebel Without a Curse. What is that? What do you think the title, Rebel Without a Curse, means? Uh, this is a clean comedian uh-huh. who is advertising himself as a clean comedian. Uh-huh. And he's also a rebellious oh, okay. clean comedian. So, no, yeah. So this guy yeah. is now this, no fucks, no fucks, no fucks, and also no fucks given if you don't like his. But was this a regional act, or was he? This was a guy. He was in L.A. in the '80s comedy boom, and then Brad he Brad Stein, and then he settled in Franklin, Tennessee, outside Nashville. That's where the rich Republicans so he, live. Okay, so he blew it in L.A. and left, or I, I think he got religion, or he oh. got into conservative politics. Okay. And so you found the record. I found a guy. I found the conservative clean comedy Robin Williams. Okay. And I repeated his jokes about cars have too many airbags these days. Uh huh. You know, his like stuff that I thought was cool. Sure. And I started winning like gold medals by like repeating this guy's stand up. But you know what's funny is that you could have toured with that at 14 and no one would fucking (laughs) know who Brad Stein is. (laughs) I never, and I've heard a lot of guys. I don't know that guy. I is. think you know what I think he's big in the in the Christian men's conference world, and I assume now in this like growing uh, right wing media streaming world too. Sure, you know, so he's, maybe he's like doing uh, guest spots or, or opening for Stephen Crowder at certain venues. Oh God, I hope not. You know, it's it, it. I can say that as someone who grew up in Nashville, who grew up working in, you know in Christian media, conservative media, I guess you'd say, it's it's been an incredible shame to watch the like slide to the far and alt-right of a lot of these people who well, were- Well, I think, but even probably when you were growing up, it was more nuanced in terms of the politics. I mean, there was concern, but it was more of a family, family values trip, right? And- well, Bush, right, was at the time seen as like a- W or the original? W. Yeah. yeah. This is 2000, you know, that's when I- 2000 is my year of I want to be a comedian. Right. That's the year I can remember. I was watching Saturday Night... I was watching Daryl Hammond do Al Gore on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Will Ferrell doing George W. Bush. Yeah. And I was getting into comedy albums, and that's when I can remember all this kind of starting for me. Yeah. And but uh, I came from a W-obsessed family. This is a guy who's going to like... Who's going to be a good... Compa- they called it compassionate conservatism, sure. right? Yeah. We're going to let in immigrants. Yeah. So my family was obsessed with W. I, it's weird these guys with this kind of lughead charisma, <laughs> how like how for regular people, right. uh, like even my dad's wife, they just they're enamored with the charisma yeah. of 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 this cuz like these are not smart people. Even Trump has a weird fucked up charisma. It's a belligerence oh, yeah. that people identify, but it's really at the base of it, it's this uh it, they they love them. There's like a there's like a gorilla sexuality to some of these guys. You know what I but mean? But you don't like, feel it. Like I don't find that you know Trump or W were, were was necessarily sexual. Like they, I don't I don't sense a sexuality, but there's a sturdiness to what people project. Yeah, on yeah, them. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And they, and they find them. They're funny. just empty enough that they can put a lot of their dreams into them, and and they're funny. I mean, you know, Trump uh, yeah, uh, intentional funny. I don't know how intentionally funny W was, but it was right. that buffoonery that was sort of endearing disarming and yeah as he's you know as he's bombing iraqis <laughs> yeah you know he can't get out of a room you know there was a doorknob problem but i mean yeah it's that was that was such a i think that was like a fun environment and looking back on it a good time if you'll excuse me to be in that right-wing world like 
it was post 9-11. Yeah. People were praying before every sporting event. Yeah. Remember that time? That yeah. was like a very like cons- American conservatism is a good thing. Right. That and was a widespread belief at the time, right? Because of 9-11. Because of 9-11. Yeah. Everyone it brought everybody together. And Joe Biden didn't. supported the Iraq war. Everyone did. Yeah. You know, it was this. But it was this time. It felt like a good time to be doing comedy, even I, though it was a horrific war period. But, but, but so it's interesting, though. So when you say you were dug into Christian media outside of the Brad Stein record, who I, I guess wasn't a Jew or maybe was and found religion. But I mean, but who how were you dug into Christian media? Just that was what you were taking in. Um, so growing up in Nashville, I always wanted to be a comedian or an actor or something. Yeah. And I got plugged into acting with um, a friend of a friend at church. Um, one, of, one of my friends at church, his dad had like a commercial production studio. Yeah. And I would take improv classes there sometimes. And I met this woman who did a sketch review, educational sketch review called Janet's Planet. Yeah. Her name's Janet Ivy. She's still working. She's one of the best people ever. And she got me hooked up with like an agent in Nashville. And I started auditioning for little things you can audition for in Nashville, which yeah. is a really small market. And you're what, time. 15, 14? I'm like thir- 12, 13, 14. Wow, doing so this you, stuff. You, you, you wanted to do it. I wanted to do it, and my parents would just drop me off at auditions. I didn't have stage parents. I figured it all out by myself. But they were supportive? They were supportive. And the only things to act in, in Nashville, were like Baptist propaganda videos. <laughs> like the Southern nice. Baptist Convention yeah. is headquartered in Nashville. Yeah. Their publishing company... <clears throat> is called Lifeway Christian Resources. Yeah. I started working as like an in-house player for Lifeway Christian Resources as a kid acting in little morality videos that they show at like Sunday school or youth group. Uh-huh. And um and you know, it's like a little cute little demonstration before the pastor brings it home with a terrifying <laughs> admonition of yeah. sin. Um so that's how I got my start. And I, that, those are the first directors I worked with. Those are the first crews I worked with were these like non-union guys who made Baptist propaganda. And, and are they all these, I guess they're all still out there. The, the propaganda videos they're, still in they're, circulation. They're somewhere. I, I just, I recently was able to watch some files of them and they're not very propaganda-y. I don't want you to imagine something USSR style. They're, they're little skits. They're little skits. Yeah. But, you know, Disney style. They're yeah. like Disney Channel looking stuff. And they're for and kids? They're for kids and they're cute. But here's the thing. The longer I did them, the older I got, the age group that I'm making videos for scales up yeah. in content. Uh-huh. So by the time I'm 19, I'm... No, I'm like 17, 18. I'm in high school. I'm acting in a video where my character is saying, and separation of church and state, that's not even in the Constitution. That's from a letter <laughs> Jefferson wrote. So you don't even have to do that. Like, I'm arguing against the separation of church and state. And that's sort of, I think, that's what made me go, I think Christianity is maybe not my thing. <laughs> so it was like, that's how you had the realization is that you were a tool. Well, it wasn't immediate the- because I immediately then went after that and did an anti-abortion major motion picture. For, for, for what? What was it? It was called October Baby. It yeah. opened number eight in America against the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games sucked up so much money that our, you know, $2 million Christian movie snuck in there. A lot of people saw it, you know? There's a huge market for that stuff. Yeah, it's growing, apparently. And it's, I think it's growing. Like, Lionsgate opened up. Uh, sure. Opened up a little house with those guys that I worked with. Yeah. And Wait I till the s- movies come out. Like, uh, what about the Jews? 
<laughs> When's that movie coming? <laughs> what about the Jews? <laughs> so um, that was your whole life. That was my life, and I and I struggled between wanting to be in Hollywood and wanting to be a good Christian son. But after you do the, you know, you start doing the impression, the Brad Stein piece, and that yeah. sort of inspires you to do comedy because you realize the power of laughter, and and you were able to yeah. just get it by cheating in a way. A little, yeah, a little bit, but oh. not really. I mean, it's a script to script. So, what do you? You know, to catch up with it. Yeah, so yeah. how do you go on from there with the comedy thing? You just start building impressions, or um, I didn't. I didn't grow up really a huge impressionist. That sort of that was like my first thing I would do to impress adults when I was young. And then, you know, I can remember doing Daryl Hammond's Al Gore. Yeah, was one I would do at church, like for adults, and they would freak out. And I was like, I don't have no clue who either of these two men are. Yeah, but me imitating it is making this grown man freak out yeah that i'm making fun of al gore and saying snl stuff i mean last night i'm you know I, i'm on stage and all of a sudden i'm talking like i'm from new jersey i don't know why yeah it's not an intentional thing but if i talk to somebody from new york i'm gonna talk you're gonna like start that. doing that and do you do that yalling when yeah. you're in alabama a little that. yeah but not i would hope not yeah the real the real problem with that is with uh when when i interview black people and i start not knowing that it's happening you're, you're letting blackness into you yeah 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 but I, I don't mind it but it's kind of odd do you do that though do do you code sw do i code switch yeah uh i find myself doing that sometimes yeah and um you know there was sometimes sometimes you can't help it i mean i lived with with two black comedians in L.A. for a few years. What do you years. mean with anybody with a vocal, with a different sort of, do you glom it? Or that, do you... that I I really try to resist the urge to. Yeah. What I do now with my wife is as soon as we walk away, yeah. I just, you do. I lash <laughs> into the person. I'm immediately, you know, if we're walking down the street and we hear a snatch of conversation, yeah, I yeah. lean over to my wife and I'm like, well, he didn't even say that. He didn't even say that. And when I walked in, he looked at me like I was, and I said, Brian, <laughs> and that's all I heard from the woman who passed me. Yeah, but I do that to my wife every time we pass anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's may that's maybe one of the things that makes New York the only place that you can be someone who does impressions for a living. I have a job at one of the only places you can do impressions for a living. Right, but also it's also something and it has about to be here because people are on their phones. Yeah, or they're crazy. Right, but everyone's always shouting while they're walking, and so you hear it all day. But the nature of how you do it, you know, which is, it's it's just sort of like this, um, you just kind of like drop into the collective consciousness of this yeah. thing, you know, like, and you just like kind of run with it. Like a police or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, but, you know, not, you know, it's, I don't think most impressionists have that. I think your approach to it is different. But, but let's go back. So. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm repeating, uh, I'm repeating this Christian Comedians Act. Yeah. And uh, my dad uh, asked me, hey, do you want to do some comedy at this next event at the college? Yeah. He was the dean of students at the time. At your college? At the college I eventually went to, but it's the one that my dad worked the at. The Nazarene College. At the Nazarene yeah. College. I'm 14. Yeah. It's a singing competition. They have to count the votes yeah. for the singers. And they need a little filler? And they need a little filler. And I did 10 minutes. I was 14. I have a tape of it somewhere. I can't find it. But Brad Stein stuff? No, this was me. I said, I'm going to write my own jokes. Yeah. And I guess 30 minutes before it, I wrote my own material. But it was like what a kid likes instant. Like, isn't it weird when you go over to your friend's house and it smells weird? <laughs> you know, like what is a 14-year-old's yeah. observational sure. comedy? And then I finished it by doing like um, one of the most like alt comedy things I could do ever in my comedy, which was like I did, you know, the, the robots at Chuck E. Cheese that would play 
the birthday song. You know, you go to Chuck E. Cheese and there's like the yeah, the uh, robot band. You know, I, I've never been in one, but I, I you know what I'm talking about, right? The yeah. Rock of Fire Explosion. Sure. or Some of these little yeah. amusement places have yeah. these robot bands that lip sync a song. Right. So I did an impression of those bands, like of those robotic band members, but the song was Another Brick in the Wall Part Two, <laughs> and that's how I closed. Was like, <laughs> oh no, you just and I'm like. <laughs> Herky jerky movements, like I'm playing the drums, and which gives it a darkness and a, a weight. Which, that's what I'm saying is yeah. like a 14 year old doing that. I look yeah. back on it and I'm like, that's I would be I would be weird about doing that at UCB now. Right. I would be like, are they going to appreciate this? Right. <laughs> is this does this translate? It does. Of course, it would. So so I I'm proud of myself that I had those instincts, and then of course you know I would try comedy. Uh, four or five times a year for the next like five years at Zanies and, and do terribly. Uh, I didn't start going up at Zanies until I was about nineteen. Yeah, in college, but um, you know, I'd perform wherever talent shows and to a boat one time, just like anywhere where I could find a way to do it. And so then, you kept trying, but not 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 doing well at all. The first time it went so good, and then it was terrible every other time in front of real audience, in front of real people. And but was it? Uh, but you kept at it, or you you were like fighting I, with. But in the meantime, you're you're acting. You're a big actor in Christian I'm like, propaganda. Movie. I, I wouldn't say big, <laughs> but I was definitely. I was always working on these skills, and like I was the kid in college or high school where kids would be like, "Oh, he's trying to be funny, but he's not funny. That's that's not funny." It's funny because Chad Ryden. Yeah, was like, oh, he's been funny since he was twelve. <laughs> but, but did you know those guys? Were you hanging around comics so, early on? Yeah, like I would say, about at nineteen, that's when I started sneaking into bars to do bar comedy in yeah. Nashville because I knew that I just couldn't do the Christian comedy thing. I couldn't just perform in mega churches and uh, uh, oh, but church camps that, and stuff. But this was also after the propaganda realization. This was after the yeah. I'm coming out of that and. This is embarrassing. I'll tell you, and we all have our ways into things. I yeah. saw Judd Apatow's Funny People. Yeah. And I saw this movie where young comics were in LA trying to get up at the improv. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I can just Google where to do stand-up in Nashville. Yeah. I found NashvilleStandup.com, which was Chad Ryden's website. Okay. I found like a calendar of places. And one by one, I started sneaking out. My college had a thing um, had I signed a document saying I wouldn't even put my pre myself in the presence of alcohol. I won't really? even go to bars. I can't go to somewhere that serves. Were you alcohol. afraid of that? I mean, like because you signed it, you, were you abiding by it? Uh, I wanted to be a good boy. Yeah. My dad worked at the college. I have this legacy of family. I'm like Nazarene royalty. Yeah. I can't embarrass everyone. I and, and, I, and I, I guess on some level, in that light, you know, Nashville is a relatively small town. You could get caught. I could get caught because right. there were there were legends of, you know, certain deans driving around at the popular oh, bars wow. looking for kids. Yeah. So um so I was one by one ticking off which bars I could get into without getting carded because uh -huh. I'm, you know, underage. Yeah. And then Chad saw what I was doing and he started he started sort of ushering me into some of these bars to be on the lineup. Yeah. And like, I didn't drink at these places. I didn't drink underage. I yeah. just, I got the X on my hand at the places that did the X's on the hands. Yeah. And that's how I started performing. I'm performing. I'm a good 20 years younger than everyone else doing comedy in Nashville. Do you remember who they were? Uh, Brad Edwards yeah. was my favorite comedian in Nashville. I don't know if you've seen him I recently. 
He's uh, he's really into woodworking. Okay, these days that's where that's where he ended up. He was incredible. Yeah, incredible comedian. I hope he still gets up. Sean Parrott is an incredible comedian in Nashville. Uh huh. Um, Killer bees. Killer bees. I never got to know Killer bees very well. I you know I would go to Zane. Save up. <laughs> Save up. <laughs> I James Gregory. Yeah. Yeah. You know, seeing all those guys like Zanies was this other thing that none of us could break into. All the open micers. We were doing these like bar shows. Yeah. And Zanies was this thing that let in like one person every four years. You right. Know what I mean. Right. To be a part for of the it. locals. For the locals, you know, to be. They had the sexy guitar comic. They had the cute guy who did guitar comedy. They had. The you know they had a the fat guy who talked about going to McDonald's yeah and then whoever the touring guys were those are the guys that would open for Nick Cannon right and yeah James Gregory it's so funny it's all this it's all Louis. this basic commedia della arte structure there's yeah, this, right? this handful of types uh-huh. that just refill uh-huh. you know if the fat guy dies we got one waiting yeah we got the next <laughs> we got the next guy and, and Ralphie's um, gone bring in the next yeah. heavyweight bring in the next heavyweight yeah. oh he was just you know. He was just in a horrible car wreck and in the middle of nowhere yeah. doing some one nighter. Yeah. Like comedy just I grew up in in Nashville. This the comedy scene seemed so dangerous. It seemed so un it just was so unlike the safe sort of Christian un, world and, that I And also from. unlike the Apatow movie on some level. You know, the sort of nuts oh, yeah. and bolts of of regional and road comedy. Yeah. It it doesn't look like show business. No, it doesn't. And you know, it's really just it is what it is. But you and it will be the exact same after the apocalypse. Nothing will change about it. Sure, there'll be people people going like, "Where is that club open?" Or is (laughs) that is a guy, a comedian with an arm sticking out of his forehead, with like green ooze coming out of one eye. I got a hook. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I'm actually doing. uh, I'm actually doing quadrant uh, zone A four tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, it's great, and they'll let you eat for free. (laughs) So, when did you? decide like the acting thing did you just learn on the job did you study it or i i never really took any formal training it was just like um they both just happened you know stand up was this thing where there wasn't an improv scene in nashville which i may have done if i was in chicago or something so stand up just became i have to perform somewhere yeah and that's how i got doing stand up mostly and i didn't do any impressions in my stand up almost ever until Maybe the last four or five years, probably. Really? Yeah, I just didn't really do it. I would do Lou. I would do like one line as Louis. Yeah. You know, I would do. Uh, I would. I would finish a five-minute showcase set in L.A. You know, I was in L.A. for the last yeah. ten years. I would finish a showcase set by like doing Louis, like uh, Born Again, Louis C.K. Oh yeah, how's that? Go? Yeah. You ever? Uh, do you ever go outside and the sky is blue and that's enough? You ever have that uh, moment with your? creator however you define that presence in your that's amazing that's amazing i think jesus is great and i think the devil is a cunt and (laughs) how did that do uh it would do well i mean that's that was the lesson was like people didn't after a certain point to distinguish yourself from all of the there's a thousand comedians in la and to distinguish yourself you have to start making moves other like you know what I mean? Yeah, and and sure. the impressions thing was a thing only I could do. Not everyone else was doing that. And I was like, if I can find a way to do impressions that's not corny, yeah. that is not Branson, Missouri, that right. is not Vegas. Then- well, there's only ever been a handful of people that do it professionally. 
uh, that you know right uh, or well yeah. you know there was a time in the 80s i think where everybody had one or two where that's where you get that hat hack nicholson right yeah trip but in terms of people that really can do it yeah. and, and be impressive there's only been like a handful ever yeah and it's a it, it's it's a real sort of pocket of stand-up yeah. and show business, but it, like you said, it's hard to do. And even some great impressionists are not that great, but they, there's something about, they get one thing right. There's It's hard to do it cool. It's hard to do it in a way that doesn't make you roll your eyes. I mean, I, I'm a, I was a comedy fan, yeah. and when there would be an impressionist, impressionist would come up, if I'm watching a show, I would get like scared because I'm like, either this is going to be amazing, yeah, or it's going to be really kind sure. of uncomfortable and yeah. sad, you know, like because it can be. Yeah, you've well, I, seen... I remember growing up watching Rich Little. I mean, he was the mm. guy, yeah, right. And right. then there was a, a from the generation before him. I think there were a lot more impressionists around. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that like you know, uh, like you know, when you get sort of into the history of show business. I remember when I was a kid, you'd see Rich Little, and then you'd see these old guys on these talk shows, and someone was like, you know, Frank Gorshin was an impressionist. And I'm like, who the fuck is Frank Gorshin? <laughs> this guy plays the Joker on the Batman show. Like, I'm not that old, but right. like, I remember hearing that information, and then you yeah. get sort of fascinated with it, but... That, but I think it comes from a nightclub tradition, right? Yes. Where you have a song, yeah. you have your jokes, yeah. you know, everyone did everything. Yes. It, like a variety thing, yeah. Yeah, before like uh, before there were comedy clubs, before like Bud Friedman yeah, and stuff, yeah, yeah. there wasn't just a place that was just the stand-up. No, you're opening you had to for do music. It all. Yeah. And Margaret's doing stand-up and then singing a song sure. in Tahoe. Like, yeah. That was the one thing I always used to notice about Dana Gould. I'm like, he does it all. Oh, I love Dana. He's the best. He's so funny. He's so funny, but he can do all of it. Funny forever. Yeah. That's, that's what makes this week is Martin Short and Steve Martin yeah. at the show. On SNL. And... Martin Short was like my number one. Oh yeah. When when I when I got hired at SNL, they were like, "Well, what do you want to do? Like, what's yeah. your career?" And I was like, "I want to be Martin Short. Yeah. I want to be funny for fifty years straight." And like you, you're un, undeniable. Yeah. And that's and, just... and the business does not know what to do with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's to me the business is being on every talk show, murdering. Yeah. And then popping up as a French guy. Yeah. In a movie for yeah twenty minutes for like five <laughs> minutes or whatever. So, I think that is the height of being in, this in show business. I think you're right. As I hope that those uh, those talk shows live long enough to where you can fulfill that I dream. I hope SNL lives long enough. That's well, you're good. You're you're. It's not going to go anywhere right yeah. away. I I you know. I, I'm not saying like that's going to happen. I just mean when I look out at like the media landscape, I'm always like, well, what am I going to be doing in two years? Yeah, like where like, am I going to be? Where doing do it? I get to go next? Yeah, like, I mean, I want to do SNL as long as everyone gets to do SNL. Yeah. I want to. I want to. What are you on four now? Four years? I'm. This is my second season. Second Mark. season, and I want to do it for forever. You know. Okay, so you're in Nashville. You're you're uh, bordering on being a, 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 at least a lapsed Christian in behavior. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, you're doing stand up. So, where do you get the wherewithal just to go to L.A.? Do, do you meet somebody? Does uh, let's see. I, yeah, because Nashville comics would always go to Chicago. But when I met you, so you hadn't left yet. I hadn't left yet. And you sat in a hotel room with me and singer, and I recorded an intro. Yes, we we you recorded you recorded an intro, and then we went to Pied Piper for some ice cream, I think. Oh, and yeah. we went to Grimey's, I think, to look at records. Grimey's, yeah, yeah we had a, a full day. Store. We had a full Nashville day. Were you talkative? I think I think I said one joke yeah. to try to like get the respect, <laughs> and I was like, 
I was not mature enough to be like, just ride out a nice day with Mark. Don't bother the guy. <laughs> Precious had just come out. Yeah. This is the worst joke of all time. Yeah. Somebody brought up Precious. Yeah. From the back of the car, I said, Eddie Murphy can do anything. <laughs> and <laughs> it did look? not get that response last time. Damn it. So I think you went, ha. Yeah. It was me. It was me. <laughs> Me, you, and Singer driving. Oh out. man! So that was like, yeah. that was like, well, I got, I gotta try. Yeah, it was you good. gotta I'm cast so, your lot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't don't ever... apologize for that, Mark. Do you understand that those are the moments that lead to me be achieving some sort of greatness? Oh, good. All it's right. It's like wanting to get the kill in yeah. the car. Glad with to help visiting out. Comic. Yeah. Um, Did so, you do that with a lot of visiting comics? Oh, not really. I didn't hang out with it because a lot of them weren't the guys I was fans of. Yeah. It was like. There was a there was a couple years where I saw a lot of the people that I liked. Yeah, I saw you. I saw Louie. I saw Patton. Yeah, Todd Berry. I saw Reggie Watts. Yeah, I saw Conan. Right. Like I had this like great little run in 2009 to 2011 yeah. where I got to that was at the beginning of my open miking. Yeah, and I really got to see right great acts. You and know, it that was came that, through Nashville. And and then you and then you moved to LA. And then I'm and then I I. In college, I got to go for a semester to L.A. Yeah. Uh, to be in some film school program for a semester. Oh, what'd you do there? It was, like a, it was like a Christian college thing where they had like a semester exchange where you could go learn some video production in L.A. and intern. I interned at Beavis and Butthead. I interned for Mike Judge for like a little one-season reboot of Beavis and Butthead. He's a good guy. He is a good guy. I really respect him. Yeah. He's, a, he's a Southerner who figured out how to do intelligent... You know, King of the Hill is an achievement. Yeah. King of the Hill is an achievement to to take Texas people, believably render real feeling Texas people, yeah, and do it in a way that's respectful and honest at the same time, yeah. Like you show their faults, you show their compassion, yeah. You don't hate, right? Hank yeah, at all. You respect Hank. Empathetic treatment of and, of like that. a yeah. group that usually gets shit on all yeah, the time, yeah. and. So I loved that I got to work for Mike Judge for a little bit. That felt very appropriate. But then I, I got bad grades because I was just doing open mics all the time. And I came back to Nashville in L.A. In LA and Where at? Like Nerdist and all um, that shit? Yeah, I would go to... Meltdown um, all places? Yeah, Meltdown. And I would go to Holy Fuck every Tuesday. Yeah. That show it? in the theater, the movie theater. Oh, yeah, yeah, Did you ever yeah, do yeah. Dave Ross's movie theater show? I did show? do that. Yeah, downtown, right? Downtown. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I would uh, melt down power violence and uh, go to hang out at oh, the power improv. Power violence on what was it, on like Mel or Santa Monica? Yeah, that, that, was, that was still in that little theater. Who the fuck was that? Was that Josh Whit Thomas? Whit Thomas. Whitmer Thomas. Sure. And wasn't it two guys hosting it? And wasn't it kind of chaotic? It was very chaotic. I yeah. remember doing it once, and I'm like, "What the fuck is happening?" <laughs> well, you would see, you would see like you or Bill Burr, or, yeah. like you would see, you would see real we were all comedians to try. Do this wanted, punk show, yeah. you know, and um, so LA had these good little five dollar or free shows that yeah. I could see, yeah, real comedians at, and so I I would hang out at all those, and I was starting to get booked, but then I chickened out, went back to Nashville, did comedy in Nashville for two more years, met the woman who is now my wife, yeah, and then I moved back to LA for ten years. What she do? She is a counselor. She is a therapist. Oh, really? She's, she's in college. She's in grad school to be a therapist. But, oh, that's um, good. She's worked in behavior, behaviorism, and wow. worked at schools with like kids smearing shit on the walls. And so you're, so you're covered. I'm covered. Yes. <laughs> you're gonna. I found managed. The, I yeah. found the one that is gonna be able to ride this out, <laughs> however long it lasts for me, and be helpful, and be helpful, and also be hate it 
at the correct degree. Yeah. Hate it to a healthy degree. Yeah, good. Yeah. So w- you just go on your own, you just pack up and say, I'm going, Ma. I'm going, I'm going to go, I'm going out this time. I think I had like $1,000 or something from some- And your parents are all along the way are okay. Commercial. They believe that you're going to maintain your I, decency. You know, to their credit, they yeah. let me go. Yeah. But from my perspective, I also believe that they were positive that I would- Fail. Come, come home soon and teach poetry at a small private Christian college. Yeah. And be a respectable man. That's poetry. A, even after I'm like, I remember I had booked a Coen Brothers movie. I had two lines in a Coen Brothers movie, and I told my grandparents, and my grandpa was like, well, you'll come home, you'll teach history. Yeah. And I was like, I'm in a Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> they don't know. Papa. They don't know. But that, which movie? Hell Caesar, right? Hell Caesar, yeah. What what a great movie. I, I, I that celebrate movie. that movie. And and you know and people will not join me in it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of the great Coen Brother movies. But I, I guess everyone's kind of weird about the about Coen Brothers. They all have their like. The, I'm not a Lebowski guy. I mean, I like it. Yeah. I've watched it many times, but yeah. I'm not in the cult. You may be a Lebowski, Lebowski. character. That's you may true. be believable as another yeah. man at that bowling alley. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm living that to a certain <laughs> degree. We all. Are. I get the point of why it's so. Uh, yeah, why people yeah, yeah. love it. But for me, you know, Hell Caesar. And it, like a double feature of Hell Caesar and Barton Fink, I, th- I see yeah. Hell Caesar as the sequel to Barton Fink, the light sequel to Barton Fink. Right. Well, it's literally the Capitol Pictures, the fake studio. Yeah. The Michael Lerner. Yeah. Studio. I remember sitting next to Joel Cohen, who you could play in a film, and I was sitting next to Joel Cohen, and I was like, I gotta talk to him. Yeah. And. and Again, I'm too green. I yeah. should shut the hell up and let <laughs> no. You got it, the dude. guy. You just got to do life. it, dude. So, so I'm sitting in a director's chair next to him. We're at, on location in Agua Dulce. We're on one. Of, we're in one of those movie ranches yeah. somewhere, shooting yeah. the western scene. And I see the the Capitol Pictures logo on some old timey trucks in the way in the background yeah. of the shot. I was like, oh, Capitol Pictures from from Barton Fink. That's pretty cool. And then uh, Joel Cohen, who is obviously thinking about the next sequence of shots that yeah. he's going to compose with Roger Deakins. Yeah. Like glances over distractedly and, and looks at him. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like goes back to the important work that he's doing. <laughs> he's, he, he acknowledged you. You got the, and uh, I felt like such a rat for bugging this artist. Oh, his, come in on. The middle of his work day. Come on. What, I, what's my, uh, Coen brothers movie. I think it changes over the years. Yeah, and I like uh, Serious Man because as a Jew, yeah. it's so it's such a Jewy movie. Mm. It's probably one of the Jewiest movies since Fiddler. And no, well, one... it does start with a like a tale of a Dybbuk. Like it starts yeah. with like a folk tale. Yeah, of the ghost. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Ghost. Yeah. And, and I uh, see as a somebody who grew up super Christian, I got a lot of value out of Serious Man. I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh yeah, the the bonds that tie you to the entire history yeah. of your traditions, sure. of your like family's traditions. Well, you know, a lot of Christians uh, are are very pro Jew, but it sadly it's to it, a degree. It, no, but it's an apocalyptic vision. I like know. The, I talk about this with my Jewish comedy writer friends now, where we're like, yeah, when we all, if, when you get us all to Israel, then Jesus could come back. So, exactly right. I get it, but it doesn't end well for no for one half of the equation. Well, I've been playing with these ideas about how, you know, I I haven't really, I connect them sometimes when I'm riffing, but the idea that like if if you believe in Jesus, you'll probably believe anything. Yeah, I mean, you have to sort of like manage that door right because there's not like you know the spectacular sort of mythology of it mm. enables QAnon to a certain degree yeah i don't i don't know i mean i feel like i hang out with with 
Christians and conservatives a fair amount because we're in Nashville all the time. Now, right, and so the, you, you think that that's a faulty premise. I just feel like, I don't know a lot of the Q people or they're like hiding it, but I do know that Facebook has ruined so many people's brains. Yeah. Like the there is like a thing now where people are quick to believe the thing with the fewest sources right? and quick to negate a very thoroughly well-researched like New Yorker article but, but about that, a real thing. But that thing. is, you just explained religion. <laughs> <laughs> I know. See, that's, I think, I think that's the thing that's ultimately keeps me from re-engaging with Christianity. You know, you, but you can have faith and you can have belief I and you can, know. Have, I don't right. know if I do. I don't know if I believe the you, stuff. What about, but you've, you've, you've grown to uh, be more forgiving and uh, accepting of the community that you came up. I in. think religion is beautiful. I think, I think if you can actively engage in it and it makes you, I've seen it make people's lives better. Yeah. But, but I had this intense respect for religion and I followed the teachings of Christianity very closely and I had respect for it. It was that respect that led me away from it because I came to a point where I was in an argument with, with a pastor friend, yeah, a, a really enlightened guy, cool, like uh, well-read, you know, a liberal thinker yeah. in the true sense of the word. And I'm like talking to him about this stuff, and I'm saying just some stuff I casually believe, and and he's just like, yeah, well, I mean, Jesus uh, did rise from the dead, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know if I believe the stuff. Uh, like it just hit me that I'm maybe not a Christian because you have to believe the stuff. Yeah. And I I think I just realized maybe as soon as like five years ago or something, yeah. I was like, I don't think I believe the stuff. Yeah. And then that made me go, Well, I've got to stop faking that I believe the stuff. Right. Because this is disrespectful to people who do. Right. And so that's where I'm at with it now. Okay. Where we have this little baby and we're like, Are we gonna raise him with the stuff? With the stuff. <laughs> because, you know, and I'm like, he's gotta know the stuff the Jonah and the whale. Yeah, right. He's got to know the stories. Or he's that's not the gonna, old stuff. He's got to know the tales. But I just don't want him growing up um, with crazy baggage and guilt guiding him through everything. I was a virgin until I was 25, you mm. know? Well, it must have been a good day. It was, well, it was okay. first two times were not, <laughs> they were C, C minuses on my ha on my end of the bargain. But the third and fourth time was like uh, hearing the Beatles for the first time, for sure. Oh, good. But, um, you know, it. Uh, I I don't want my kid growing up afraid of engaging with the world. Right. I mean, Christianity can do that to you, where you sure. like, you grow up thinking that everything that is not Christian is pure evil. Right. And um, I want to have a, I want to have a love of discovery, a curiosity. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, the people that live in that five square mile radius that you're talking about. Yeah. I think it was the lack of curiosity that terrified me about living and they're way. and they're enforcing of that the the, yeah. the enforcing of like what you said like yeah. everything that's uh you know that we don't understand mm -hmm. has got to be bad and now it's and now living in the country is sort of a virtual experience like we live in a monoculture we have the internet all yeah. of us live in the same culture at the same time yeah but no one's on the same page of the internet i know so, that is true but that is true the uh okay so you're out there <laughs> You did the Coen Brothers movies, and, yeah. and you're showing up on things. So when does the big break come? Because you're not really. You're, are you working as a touring comic? I'm like. I wouldn't say I'm featuring working. I'm or, like featuring for yeah. like Ryan sometimes, or like Dave Stone, or you know, um, 
Rory maybe yeah. once or twice or so doing a go bananas weekend with somebody else making 500 bucks. Right. In Cincinnati. In Cincinnati. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, so Jeff Tate, Jeff Tate, these are, these are men that help me out. Kyle Kinane. Yeah. So, so I'm going around with these guys sometimes and trying to learn stuff. Uh, I got, at some point I got an agent and I got, uh, JFL in 2017. Is it interesting though that these guys, so you held out, you, you know, you were hanging out and, you know, with some, uh, you know, fairly um, sweet demons. Yeah. And and I imagine they kind of took care of your sensibility. They they were not like, what's up, dude? You gonna do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, these are these are these are guys that read books yeah. and also are looking for fried chicken at every moment of the day. Yeah, yeah. You and drinking. I mean? And drinking beer. <laughs> so so I, I was able to engage with guys that were like, Oh, they're half in my Tennessee world yeah. somehow. Yeah. And they're half in this punk. Yeah. Um comedy world yeah, too yeah and uh that was a good bridge from my like christian comedy world nice to well, those the, are good guys to the city those are all good guys and, you know jeff and ryan and kyle you know yeah, i owe them so much i owe them so much and um and so at some point i got an agent in la and uh, managers JFL. i did jfl i remember i went into jfl thinking this is where the snl people see you i gotta yeah. do my snl set so my five minutes at jfl was like an snl audition i did louie i sang a song I did like a sportscaster bit. I yeah. did one-liners, you know, yeah. I had all, and uh, did I didn't, kill? It, it, I had a kill. I got written up on some comedy blog. I was like, this is a good JFL. I didn't have a single meeting. I didn't talk <laughs> yeah. to anybody. Yeah. No, no call from SNL. Yeah. Um, you know, you know what I think it is? Yeah. And I don't mind saying this on yeah. WTF. I, what I think it was is Sam J. I had to follow Sam J. Every stage of JFL. Sam J, just this murderer, you know Sam yeah, J, sure. just a murderer. Yeah. And um, she would just, she would level the theater. Yeah. And I'm, I swear to God, she was hired from to SNL writing staff like that night yeah. of our big JFL show. Right. I swear to God, SNL was just talking to her already backstage. <laughs> I don't think they were watching my set because she was like... <laughs> crushing oh that's probably true i think that may have been yeah. what happened they just Not ran backstage right when the, you got up he she brought whoever brought you up they were already backstage talking to sam not that it's a guarantee that i was no. gonna get SNL yeah, yeah. at that point and thank god that it didn't i'm so glad that it happened five years later when i was in my 30s and not my single in my mid-20s it or took whatever. five years so what are you doing for that five years when do you start doing um, you know trump on the on whatever instagram you know um i got together with my 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 former girlfriend, who is my wife now, we got together again after five years apart. I was happy. I went to therapy. This uh, is the five-year interim. This is the five-year interim. And yeah. SNL. Yeah. I started going to therapy. Yeah. I I made up with my family. I I. Well, I, how deep was that riff? It wasn't that much of a riff, but it was it was all on me. It was all this like ah, I well, they, hate all they, this stuff. They didn't even know really. They barely even knew. Yeah. They didn't know that yeah. that I was on Prozac and yeah. I had anxiety and I had all this. So I think it was, I think it was just, I worked on myself and I like kept doing, I kept plugging away at stand up. I started a show in Highland Park at a bar called La Quivita, Little uh -huh. Cave. Uh -huh. We started a show called Rod Stewart Live. Yeah. Just, Didn't do that one. Uh, well, you know. You didn't ask me. I don't think you would have wanted to do this okay. one because we had to pummel our way through to the laughs. I mean, it was a loud, that's a loud biker cocaine bar. Oh, wow. That is, that is. Why'd a, you choose that place? That is a goth bar because they would let us. Oh, yeah. They would let us do the show and for five years. Where is it? Every Wednesday night. It's at, um, you know where Triple Beam Pizza is and yeah. Hippo? Yeah, yeah. It's like right next to okay, that. Okay, okay. And um, so I, 
I kind of did roadhouse comedy in Highland Park every Wednesday night for five years. While you were going to therapy. Going to therapy. Being in love. Being in love and doing commercial auditions for Taco Bell and stuff. And that's, I think, really where I got my stand-up chops, finally, was doing, fighting through conversations and getting the attention of people. And that's where I started doing Trump on stage. Okay. I the first couple times I did Trump in 2018, 2017, impression was okay and people would stop and listen because it kind of sounds like him. But I'm doing the angry, you know, I'm a liberal and I'm doing the angry Trump. We're going to kill everybody, blah yeah, blah blah. Yeah. And not getting laughs, but they are quiet. And I was like, I never want that. I never want to silence a yeah. a biker bar. Yeah. and not get laughs. Yeah. So that's when I started abstracting the Trump and I made him like a guy from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And then like that's that's where it took on the thing that it is now. Yeah. Where I remember being You can talk like, about anything. I yeah, and I would just do like he's that's like a guy from medieval times. Yeah. Like he's he's like trying to scare peasants. And so then I would be like, We've got to do something about the mermaid king. The mermaid king. By the way, only I have the amulet. That will allow me to breathe underwater and defeat this mermaid king. Wouldn't it be great if we got along with the dragons? So, so by abstracting it and making it silly, yeah, yeah, yeah. then I started getting laughs with it and yeah. getting confident with it. And um, then COVID happened. We lost our show. We're all we're all stuck in our houses. My wife and I had a miscarriage. We were bummed out. You got married during that time. We got married in 2018. Yeah. yeah. And then COVID happened. We yeah. were trying to have a kid. Yeah. We lost the pregnancy. Yeah. Sorry. We were happens to everybody. We were we were we were just depressed in our home, and I just started I just started making videos for Twitter, just walking around my house because I had to do comedy somehow. Yeah, that's what I did with Instagram, kind of. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and and it everyone kind of started doing that a little bit because yeah. there was nowhere to perform. Yeah, and it was an election year, and my Trump impression was something silly that didn't piss people off. It was like a release. Yeah. And they just started getting picked up and getting shared by celebrities. And and uh, at some point, and then I started a podcast uh, where um, with my buddy Zach Pugh. And on this podcast, What Things Are What Things, um, uh, I would do like, uh, I would call in as a celebrity at the at the end for like 20 minutes and yeah. be Bob Dylan or yeah. be um, Bobby Flay yeah. or Joe You'd Biden. Do Bobby Flay? I would do Bobby Flay, yeah. What is that? Like... Uh, uh, that's it. Now stick around because there's going to be a lot more ribs where that came from right after this. <laughs> you know how like Bobby has like the TV Bobby? Yeah. yeah. Where he's reading a cue card. Yeah. He's really excited and he's speaking at a huge volume. Yeah. And he's a little New York. He's kind of not ready to be on t- TV, but yeah. it, it, it's not like he's going to take any allocution classes or anything like that. <laughs> but he's excited to make a brick oven pizza. <laughs> and then yeah. and then there's the cutaway where he's sort of snidely explaining what a red sauce is because Food Network is for people who've been hit in the head 20 times yeah. so he's like well you know a red sauce is uh, you know usually composed usually composed of uh, diced onion uh, a little bit of garlic and uh Tomatoes, San Marzano tomatoes is sort of packaged at the peak of their freshness, and uh, they just kind of want to start sweating, sweating all the aromatics and get that uh, started in the saucepan. He has like the quiet, shy guy yeah. in the cutaway, yeah, yeah. and then the big theater kid who can't wait to show you how Guy Fieri makes his ultimate barbecue yeah. queso. Yeah. Um, so I would do Bobby Flay yeah. a lot and Trump a lot, yeah. and um, the big clip that took off for me that I think got me on SNL was I did Trump pretending to be a New York comedian in the 2000s 
remembering how good the Rafifi scene was. <laughs> oh my God, it's pretty specific. So so that was an episode Whitmer Thomas was on and that's just how the conversation ended up. And yeah. Whitmer was like, well, Trump, you were in the New York comedy scene around that time. And then I was like, <laughs> the whole clip is just like, oh yeah, it was me, it was Burr, it was Patrice and... <laughs> You know who we all thought was amazing was A.D. Miles. We loved A.D. Miles and Tisdale. Um, Tisdale. So, so that clip, I think, uh, somehow like Seth Meyers and John Mulaney yeah. and like a, like a few of those guys like ended up on their group chat. And oh, so that's I interesting because that's, that's I, the because those are the guys who are who are in in on the inside yeah and and they yeah. were kind of locked into that world right yeah, they were so, kind yeah. of coming up yeah around the time yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah. of burr and patrice and yeah sure and, and, and you and yeah and so um that clip got passed around and i think it was like oh he's good at impressions and he has like a knowledge of comedy he's obviously right. like a comedy fan and so when i sent in a tape when i got invited to send in a tape to snl um almost a year later, yeah. um, uh, they watched it. And I, I watched them watch it. I watched the view count on it. It was like a private tape. So like when you send a link and you send it a private link oh, okay. to your Vimeo. Or oh, is YouTube, that how it works? Yeah. You, you can see if no one has the link, no one's watching it except for the people you sent it to. Right. So I just watched it get watched like a dozen times one week. And I was like, oh, they're watching it at SNL. You it's, were just kind of checking it every other day or my, my agents would tell me I was trying to forget about it. I yeah. was like trying to get jobs and I was like, this isn't going to happen. Honey, a year it's later. not going to happen. Yeah. This is, yeah. Few, this is at least six months after I made these clips. Okay. Um, whenever it was hiring time, you know, yeah. they start watching tapes in July yeah. or something like that. And, yeah. and, um, and uh, I was like, honey, it's not going to happen. Don't, don't worry about it. Cause we're already pregnant. We're already nesting in LA. Yeah. We're in Highland park. We got a good condo. Yeah. I've got my little routine. I film a couple self tape auditions. I grab my Kindle. I go down to the pool. I read my Keith Richards book. Great and, book. And I, uh, it's a great one. And, uh, and I go back upstairs and we eat dinner. And I was yeah. like, I had a great life where I was making 30, 40 grand a year as an actor once or twice a year. Yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah, would yeah, act yeah. in one little thing. And I'm in the background of a George Clooney Nespresso commercial. Yeah. And, oh, it's playing in Germany now, so I think we can go on that, you know, we can go to that wedding or whatever. Nice, yeah. So that's how I'm taking care of things. And I was like, honey, SNL, it's not going to happen. But are you miserable? You're okay. We were so happy. That's okay. why we got pregnant. Yeah. You know, I mean, we were we were truly happy. And um, making little videos. I'm doing Trump and Jeff Goldblum on Cameo. Yeah. People buy my Cameos and I... I'm just famous enough on the internet that I can be on Cameo and sell a $100 Cameo of me doing, well, uh, happy birthday to a very beautiful person. Yeah. You know, my terrible Goldblum and stuff. And, um, and then they invited me, they saw the tape and they invited me to audition in LA. And uh, I was on a job. I was shooting an Adam Conover Netflix show. So I had to drive back from, uh, drive back from, uh, uh, Santa Clarita to make it to the so if the, everything shoots in Santa Clarita there's always I don't a, know why it's wild right that's where they shoot everything I know. and I had to haul ass in my 30 year old truck to make it to WeHo for my call time the fully COVID locked down Groundlings Theater where they're having this this showcase there's 20 people on it me and Sarah Squirm are on yeah. it I don't know if you know her but don't. she got hired my same year she's a great comic and um, I was like Honey, don't worry about it. It's I'm gonna do well, but it's not gonna lead to anything. 
SNL jerks all my friends around. We all go up three times in front of them and none of us get hired. It's okay. Yeah. Every, every, it's a good thing for a comic to end up in the casting mix for SNL, but it never happens. Right. So I'm just like telling her. Who are those friends that you, that you knew who've been run up the. I felt like any friend of mine that was already doing cool things, like, like Wit was one of those guys right. who I knew had auditioned and came right. back and, um, you know, um, I, I had friends that had gone and tested and just come back. Yeah. And it was like a thing. It's like a, uh, like JFL, it's like a mark of success yeah, that right. you got in the mix. Right. Um, and then um, I, ha- I did a, had a great set. I went up like fourth at this showcase and I just had a great set. Yeah. I did like 15 different people. I did. I was like, my way into SNL is the characters and impressions. It's not the, it's not just stand up. Right. So I was like, I'm not going to do stand up. Right. And so, um, so I did, you know, I did, uh, uh, Trump talking. I think my first thing was Trump saying happy birthday to Frankenstein at like yeah. some event. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. Look at him. Frankenstein. One of our favorite people. And he has beautiful bolts. I love the bolts. It's so beautiful. And he's so tall. You know, I was talking to Babadook and Bob, you know, our wives are friends and Babadook is also tall. So that was the first thing. And then I think yeah. I did Lindsey Graham, Bobby Flay, Michael Rappaport. I did Chris O'Dowd. What's your Rappaport? These fucking guys <laughs> with, the, with the spaghetti arms and the little chicken finger toes who always up at Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. that. It's yeah. one volume. Have you met many of the people that you do impressions of? Mark, I'm, I'm, Mark the other day... I said goodbye to my wife. I headed into SNL. I lit a joint on the streets of New York. And I took one puff of it and almost ran into Michael Rappaport. He's holding a microphone. He's got some guy. He's going to make something for his Instagram yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like that. And I just got to talk to him for a second because he follows me. Yeah. He's like, I like how you do it. <laughs> Me, you know, and I'm like, I'm talking to him. Yeah, man, and they had Natasha doing me instead, and I was like, they got to let the James guy do it. He's really so all I, right. I got to talk to him yeah, for five yeah. minutes, and he's I just a, have this lit joint in my hand. Yeah, you didn't want any? <laughs> I didn't offer. He, I should have offered him some of my joints. He, uh, he, you know, it, he's fun to be around. He's, I, I knew him from movies all growing up. He yeah. just seemed like so New York to me. Totally. But he's like all lit up all the time. He's always on. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So you so get, I, I did, I did all these things. And you I killed. Had, I had a great set yeah. and Sarah's backstage. Sarah Sherman is backstage. She's going to go on in a little bit. And she's like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I'm, if I'm supposed to be here. And I was so full of that comedy juice. Yeah. This is COVID. We're not performing live a whole lot. Yeah. To get a kill in front of 30 people is like. Yeah, I felt like I was on drugs or something, yeah. and I poured it all into Sarah. I was like, "You are incredible. You are a performer. You're going to crush." I just gave her all of my like vibes, and then she crushed too. And we both got invited to New York. Uh, I when I got the call that I was invited to New York, I'm like, "Honey, it's not going to happen. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to have to move." Just <laughs> I said, "Go to Nashville, hang out with your mom. I'll yeah. meet you. Yeah, we'll we'll." cool off from the disappointment of not getting the show <laughs> yeah that was the plan yeah and i went up to new york um the first day was the um in studio in studio thing yeah and um i uh i was a little nervous about it my dad gives me these unhelpful baseball metaphors all yeah, the time yeah um 
uh, I don't watch a lot of baseball. I love going to it live, but I don't know what any of the stats are. Yeah. I wish I did. Yeah. I'd love to be a sports guy. Um, but my dad always gives me these baseball metaphors, and they always help, even though I don't have a tangible attachment to baseball. Yeah. But his thing is always like, uh, uh, if I have a big show, he, he gives me the same speech where he's like, you know, the great hitters, you know, they're not swinging all the way through. It's, it's right before that ball makes contact with the bat. You, you let up just a little bit and it's that little bit of give yeah that that knocks it out of the park right that's you want it to have a little bit of yeah. that flexibility yeah and so you know the the tests are on the home base you know where tom hanks stands and says we have a great show hoobastank is here that's zach alfanakis's joke yeah. um <laughs> and uh i just remember i was like oh they'll give me a moment so my heart's slamming, but I took a moment to like do breathing exercises uh -huh. and come down. So I think I took 30 seconds to... While you were standing there? I'm standing there and I just go... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like counting in four and breathing out yeah, eight. Yeah. Like the things that my therapist taught me about making it through bumpy flights. Yeah. You know, I'm doing bumpy flight breathing. <laughs> yeah. And I came down enough and then I just jumped into the Trump stuff. I did the exact same audition I did in L.A., and everybody told me they weren't going to laugh. They laughed the whole time. As soon as they were laughing, I was like so relieved, you know. By the end of it, I'm doing Willie Nelson. and, and So Lauren's there and everybody? Lauren's there and everybody. It's so weird. You're The camera's dead on. Yeah. You're supposed to play to the camera. Yeah. Stage manager's standing next to the camera. All the writers and producers are way over in a corner to your left. Yeah. And... I think it's like possibly is like a performance test to see if you're going to end up playing to the live audience. Right. Or if you're going to play to the camera. Right. And you're supposed to play to the camera. Yeah. And not get distracted that all of the laughers are over here. Yeah. I don't know if that's part of their psychology of the, this process. Yeah. But I had heard from, I think Hannah Einbinder told me play to the camera because she had auditioned the year before. And so I gave it all to camera that was the right move. It went great. That night, I got a call to meet producers. And um, the next day, you know, there's like a group of us waiting in the writer's room and we're all getting like called off to different offices. And I met Lauren pretty quickly. I, it's like maybe my second meeting was with Lauren. Yeah. And Did you have to wait to meet Lauren? I didn't have to wait very long. Wow. He made me wait in the middle of it. <laughs> I, I got called in. He talked, for, talked to me for about 10 minutes. And then... It was, it was like he sort of like you know and it's the Lorne way where he's kind of like a sphinx a little bit yeah. he's like speaking in kind of temple riddles uh -huh. like a Zelda boss or something <laughs> yeah. so like I come in and he's walking to his desk and he's like he's like oh well uh, I, you know we were in New Mexico and Will Farrell excuse me Forte um, <laughs> showed me one of your videos and we were having a good time watching it and like that's like the that's sort of like the yeah the the Lorne hello yeah and yeah have a seat and all that and so I was like this guy has a vibe this yeah. guy has a way he does these meetings yeah his whole job is meetings with people with yeah. artists yeah so I'm like this is it was just surreal it was very surreal because yeah. you hear everybody's story about meeting Lorne so and then halfway through it he was like telling me some historical anecdote or yeah. something like that uh -huh. where I. I think I was just making conversation with him about, I had just been in Montreal. I knew he was Canadian. So yeah. I was like, do you like Montreal? Do you like Quebec? He's like, well, I like Quebec City a great deal. And he starts looking at his phone. There's a hotel there. He's just looking at his phone <laughs> where 
that looks out on a field where looks at the phone a little bit closer where the British <laughs> where the British defeated the French this is the network I have to take this and he sent me a, <laughs> he sent me he sent me out and I think I stood outside of his office for 25 minutes or so while I uh-huh. talked to the president of NBC of the world yeah 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 and um and I got called back in and you know he was like well the purposes of these meetings is yeah. to see if you're funny I think you're funny um, you'll be wearing a lot of wigs. Um, you'll get used to it very quickly. Um, you're seasoned, so I'm not really worried about you. Um, uh, are you married? I was like, um, yes, I'm married. And he's like, children? I said, I have, uh, we're five months pregnant. And he's like, when's your baby due? And I said, Christmas Eve. And he like looked at the calendar on the wall of all the, when the shows are. Yeah. He's like, well, you have her show on the 18th and then you'll have a little bit of a break and you'll have a you'll have the baby on the break (laughs) and like i'm washing my hands in the bathroom after that and i'm just like oh is that it is that the show like yeah i'm on snl now and i have to call becca and tell her like you are moving yeah at the height of your pregnancy you will be in a dead winter in new york yeah in the first apartment we could find yeah. And we will deliver a baby halfway through like the most intense work period of my career. Yeah. How that land? She, when I, so I was still afraid of flying. So I took an Amtrak, a 24 hour Amtrak to Birmingham to go back to the South. Oh, you have this horrendous fear of flying? I did. I think show business has thoroughly beaten it out of me now. Now I love it. Now I really enjoy you it. You relax into it. Well, I get to go on first class now sometimes. Yeah, so. sure. You know, the champagne yeah. and the reading the book and looking yeah. at the clouds. Now I love it. And also I've just, you know, I try to work through the, try to face the stuff that scares me and work through the stuff. Yeah, you, know you have I mean? no control over it. Yeah. And it's just like, oh. You don't know how to fly a plane. I don't know how to fly a plane. And yeah. if I die, that's awesome. Sure. Then I get to die. Yeah. Then it's, then I never have to worry about stuff. Uh, I, I'm a I, dead guy. Yeah. Maybe I'll get there. That seems like a good way <laughs> to look at it. Let's do mushrooms sometime and talk to death. But, <laughs> but, um. I, uh, there was some, some fear still in me that I had to get on the trip. I think I wanted to just veg out and not think and talk to anyone. Right. I I had just done. You need some time. I needed some time. I had just done this Netflix show. I had just, I had, I had in between the Netflix show and getting this SNL audition had gone to New York separately to play Donald Trump in the Carrie Mulligan movie that just came out that she said, yeah. you know, she said about yeah, the yeah. Yeah. Harvey Weinstein yeah. investigators. Yeah. So I got to see that. Is it out yet? It's out, yeah. And I guess I'm still in it as Trump over the phone. Okay. But they wanted me as a live actor yeah. screaming at Carrie Mulligan. This is a drama yeah. Trump. This is not a comedy right. Trump. Right. And so to have done that already and then get invited to come back to New York to audition for SNL was just so strange. Yeah. And, and uh, so... So I think I had just gone back and forth doing all these things and I just had this really intense period of my career that felt really intense to me at the time. And I wanted to be alone. I was on an Amtrak train, 24 hours, coach, no 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 sleeper. No sleeper. Yeah. Just sitting there staring. Yeah. And I was like they didn't and they didn't call. Sarah got the call. They they hadn't called me and I was like maybe I didn't get the show. I didn't get I never got the official pickup call. Right. And uh halfway through this Amtrak train I got the Lorne Michaels call 
and they had gotten my they i think i had written my number down wrong on yeah. the contact sheet when i got to new york <laughs> yeah so they had left a voicemail on some other tennesseans yeah cell phone yeah <laughs> and um and uh so i got the call i talked to him he was like where are you and i was like i'm on an amtrak train he goes oh what a glamorous life you lead um, <laughs> yeah yeah and uh i immediately called my wife afterward and told her and she just sobbed hard it was just like oh just ugly <laughs> sobbing yeah and um i came back and it was just like she was just like i knew it was gonna happen i was dreading it the whole time i like dreading that it would kind of yeah yeah because we were very happy in la and we were nesting she was nesting she was building and we had yeah. a we had a closet with all of the baby cabinets uh-huh. like Everything was baby proof. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what she was grieving. Was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That you put all this work in. And... She had hormonal, yeah. like, nesting grief yeah. that her bird's nest was destroyed. Right. Uh, it was like her house was burned down to right. her. Wow. But I was like, I know this is hard for us right now, but like, this is how I feed us for the rest of our marriage. Like, yeah. I, even if I flame out spectacularly, even if I fuck everything up for us and I'm a, even if I become an absolute piece of shit, yeah. From now on, it'll say SNL in the corner of my poster, and some people will come to my show. I was like, even even at the even even if I ruin our lives, well, I'll always be able to feed us because that's what SNL does. It's like I'll always be able to draw somewhat of a crowd, right? Because that's like, uh, it's like the comedy Supreme Court or something. It's right. like the olympics yeah of comedy for right. america but it's like it's interesting that you saw it you know in relation to you know your life that you know this is you know despite how however we feel and whatever happens this will provide for us i was fully in dad mode yeah i was only thinking i was only in the terrified pre-baby zone right uh, that's, that's probably the best zone to be in because it, it could have went selfish yeah oh yeah of course yeah if I had gotten this job and I was 24 and just a psycho and single and stuff, I I don't know that I'd be able to mentally be able to ride it. But it's interesting. It Your whole life prepares you like in terms of responsibilities and experience, even if it was with Christian broadcasting and this or that, that by yeah. the time you get to this place, you're emotionally grounded and professionally you've seen a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like you're, there's nothing intimidating about the situation other than the, the pace and the requirements. Yeah, that's, uh, I had to learn all that on the job, how to like keep up with, yeah. I mean, I had done jobs before, but it was like, as an actor, it was, I was the two days on the, two days on the courtroom show guy. You know what I right. mean? I'm lawyer with one line. Yeah. Number one. You guy sitting in a trailer. I'm a guy sitting in a trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Reading, reading a Stephen King book. Yeah. Like I wasn't, I did, wasn't used to the pace of SNL. Sure. That's really, I think what prepares you for the rest of your career is doing SNL. Yeah. Like now I can, now I actually do have what I feel like the, um, the skill set and sturdiness to, to deliver. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. In any situation. In any situation, in any showbiz situation. Not going to be afraid anymore. Not going to be afraid and not going to get up in my head too much about something because it's like, um, when you're waiting around all week for your show or your opportunity to get up there. You can stew about it and 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 truly get yourself to the point where you're going to suck. Yeah. And SNL, you don't have the time to do anything but the first funny thing you think of. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's it's like if I if they if a writer comes into my office and says, "Can you do Eugene Levy?" I have 
I have 20 minutes to to like get something together for the table read. Yeah. I can't worry about if it's not good enough. Yeah. And it's usually funnier that way. It's usually an impression is I know this through SNL truly now. An impression is funnier if you like kind of grab it and just do your best with it rather than meticulously fine tune it over and over. Well, and also, you, but the thing that makes you gifted in that zone is what makes impressionists good or bad is that you have this instinct about, you know, which beat of their being to hit. To hit, yeah. 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 I and mean, that's the whole trick. That's, I think, why Dana, even though Dana Carvey doesn't focus fully on sounding exactly like the person. Yeah. Dana finds the joke in them so quickly right, and so right. spectacularly that that I think what's that's what makes him the best. Like Yeah. Um they told me I was Biden the week I got there and I had to do it the first the cold open of my first show. I was Biden. Yeah. And after I did it once, which was just like I blacked out. I don't even remember it. I asked for Dana Carvey's number and I talked to him for an hour and and he he just told me that's what that place is like. He's like, you just sometimes you just you just figure it out on the fly. You figure it out in front of everybody on TV. <laughs> and my HW took me a year. I was doing it. I was doing it a lot, and I didn't know what to do. And he said, all the the hands and the yeah you know, wouldn't be prudent. All of that stuff he just found after doing it twenty times. You know, right. And so that really calmed me down. And I was like, I'm going to find this Biden. Yeah. Now, I already knew what kind of what I'd like to do as Trump. But Biden, to this day, is the one that each time I do it, I try something new because I want to I want to kill with it. Yeah. And how's it going? I, you know, other people tell me I'm great at it. Yeah. I will never be happy with any of my work. I, I'll never truly be chill about it. Yeah. I'll always go. There's <laughs> I. Yeah, no. There was some. I feel that sometimes. Do you yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I just did two shows last night, taping an HBO special, and today and I'm like, ah, did I? Yeah, fuck. You taped an HBO special last night, yeah. And you can't just no, love because it. but but yeah, but see, it's a similar thing that I realized too is that like I've been doing these jokes for you know a year and a half now, mm -hmm. so on on a very basic level, it was another night of that, right? And uh, you you know and like second show only because new things happened yeah like i had a little more looseness and things happened on stage that had never happened before i feel good about that yeah but it's just like what was good about it like this one line like it, it never right. was there and it'll never and that should be that should be a beautiful thing about it it is no i'm happy about that yeah you know whatever you beat yourself up you beat yourself up and the tr truly the job is that show that night yeah that's that's what scares me about doing a special myself is like, well, I'll never like it as much as looking back on my year and remembering that one time in Boston. Yeah. Where that where one it thing felt kind of right. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's weird though. But to find stuff on in a high pressure situation, which you're doing all the time, mm -hmm. is very exciting. It's really exciting. And yeah. there's there's something that removes that um it removes that self critical element from it at least the negativity of it to truly know like all i can do is the live show the live show is really all it is yeah and what happens at the live show is what it is yeah and then that is that clip and they're and they're taping it you're lucky yep they're taping it and <laughs> you sort of release you do get a release from the perfectionism yeah you 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 
And also, they're not gonna... The fans kind of don't like you, uh, f- like, until they know you. Yeah. They're still getting to know you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right. You can, you can kind of be there and you're like listening when they're doing the opening credits and you hear who's getting screams on their names and you're like, they're just not going to scream at my name until they know me. Right. And they're still getting to know me. This is only- Yeah. And you you just got to accept that. You just go like, I'm just, I'm a part of an ensemble and, and at some point it won't be the third date anymore. Yeah. Second or third date. It'll be, they'll be married to me. Yeah. And they will just know- here he is. They'll know me. Yeah, and then they're just is. excited to yeah. see me the yeah. way my baby's excited to see me. Yeah. Um, you know, so And then you just wait until they resent you. And then you wait until <laughs> until they hate you. Yeah. I've always hated him. Yeah, they go, I've never liked him for a couple years. Yeah. And then the you're then like the middle of your third season, they're like, I've always liked him. Yeah, I've yeah. always ridden hard for right. him. Yeah. And then, you know, around your fifth year, they're like, he should have left two years two ago. years ago. <laughs> like yeah, that's this is I know I'm like com- I'm uh, generalizing all of the YouTube comments and sure AV club reviews and all of the things that you can look at after an SNL and do you look at believe it I'm really learning not to good because I just want to be a comedian good well congratulations you're doing good <laughs> it's good talking to you was this a good one did yeah, I achieve dude. it oh yeah yeah it was great it How was great talking to you Oh, it's, it's this is a this is this is really fun. That's, Good. This is honestly, it's on that it's on that list with JFL and SNL. It's like oh, well, WTF. thank you. No, the, the three letter things. Yeah. that you can do. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I think we did the whole thing. I got choked yeah. up in a couple of places that oh, you wouldn't have known. Nice. It was good. Thanks, man. There's a story. Jesus. This Saturday is the final new episode of Saturday Night Live for this year. Um, that was, uh, if you're just tuning in for whatever reason, at the end of a podcast, that was James Austin Johnson. <laughs> All right, look, you guys, uh, hang out for a minute, will you? Here's a reminder. If you're a WTF Plus subscriber, check your email today for the special promo code we sent you, all right? You can give that code to as many people as you want, and they'll be able to get a free month of WTF Plus when they sign up. And when you have any tier of WTF Plus, you get every single WTF episode ad-free. So you can go all the way back to 2009 for episode 38, where I sat in a car with Kyle Kinane and reviewed the original Avatar. going all right so i'm i'm having a hard time breathing i'm in the car right now with kyle canane and uh, we just got out avatar all right i went you bullied me into it not you kyle but people who were were saying that i could not judge a film prior to see i can't breathe i i'm having a hard time adjusting to the earth's environment and the atmosphere three three minutes out of avatar what we, we we pledged not to say anything from the time the movie ended Everybody stayed to watch the credits because those were in 3D as well. My my mind's a little fucked up. I'm having a hard time adjusting to breathing. Really? really? We saw, well, we saw it in 3D. It was it was pretty. Mm-hmm. It was definitely. Was it worth a hundred million dollars an hour? Was with was it three hundred million dollars? Is that the price tag of it? I hear that's the low end. That that possibly it's going to be higher than that. Could could they have spent more than twenty five hundred dollars on the script? Can I ask that much? 
an army guy saying you're not in Kansas anymore? That's where I checked out the first time. Okay. Well, there were definitely some archetypes. There was definitely, and I'm, I'm using that word in, in lieu of the word hackneyed. <laughs> That's generous. Hackneyed uh, 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 um, archetypes, hackneyed what, characters. What were, what, were they, what were they trying to get that they couldn't get? I mean, it was kind of a vague name for something that you wanted to have, but it was difficult. Oh, that it was unobtainium. 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 Because hard to get him, I think, was used in another movie already. <laughs> Tough to dig up him. <laughs> Can't find any of them. <laughs> the stuff we want is under these indigenous people's homium. <laughs> Unobtainium. Go fuck yourself. Come yeah. on, really? I, I thought that that was a joke the first time he said it. And I guess we can't yeah. be too much of a spoiler. But uh, uh, $300 million, you could have paid somebody to come up with a better. You could have given me $100. I could have come up I, with a better word for something you were looking for that was tough to get other than ob- unobtainium. Unobtainium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or uh, I hope there's some there or left them. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> not much left them. Un- unobtainium. Wild. I barely remember that. Next week, it's director week. Ryan Johnson is on Monday. Scott Cooper is on Tuesday. All right, you guys. Open G. I finally locked in to Open G. So here's a little of that.
Boomer lives, monkey in the Fonda. Cat angels everywhere. 